Hey, welcome back to the Open House Podcast where women talk real estate. Here's a quick tip. We've got tons of free resources on our website that will help you think creatively about home buying, house hacking, and renovation projects. That includes 100 plus blog posts and two free courses. Head to our website, openhouseaustin.co to learn more today. Now let's start the show. Welcome to the Open House Podcast, where women talk real estate. I'm Steph Douglas. And I'm Christina Moderis. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 2, Buying with Friends, Part 2, Red Flags and Creating Operating Agreements. Ooh, Red Flags. <laughs> this is going to be some drama, some exciting <laughs> content. We're going to tell you all our deep, dark secrets. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, as a reminder, we are um, on on what are we calling it? On a theme. Yeah. Our theme this month and maybe yeah. next month is buying with friends. Yes. Yes. So we're talking all about buying with friends. Um, we actually just, I wonder if this will be out. It'll definitely be out. But we just talked with Architectural Digest. Um, they interviewed us about our experience with buying with friends and some of our clients. We talked about some of our clients who've done it. So it was, it's, I like, it's, it's funny that we were like, we're doing themes this year. And then they were like, architectural digest was like hello would you like to be interviewed and it was i know you put it out there and people really pick it up it it is when we when we did those um those interviews which we've done quite a few like we've talked to business insider we've talked to like people who wanted to do a tv show and we talk about this this topic it's unique and people don't really think about it and then they're really like we we kind of win over the the person writing the the article i think Mm -hmm. they're like oh my god what a good idea or they're really good at their job yeah yeah or they just make (laughs) us feel really comfortable yeah i was like wow we have a fan (laughs) we we're doing it yeah Yeah, Yeah. but that was really exciting i i personally love architectural digest so much i love their home tours so what an what an honor Mm mm-hmm one day inspired to be on there. Oh my God, I know. As, as a home uh, tour. <laughs> as a home tour. I know. I, I just feel like I, I can practice like the little quippy things I would say. <laughs> <laughs> give us a, yeah. give, give it a spin. What would here, you say? Here are these fake fruits. You know, we don't eat these. <laughs> <laughs> I need to practice oh, more. No. I need to practice more. I do. I put you on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I do have so much fake fruit fake food in my house you do yeah. I, yeah I put it you know like when you tell some tell everyone that you like a certain thing and then like that's all they yes. tell you <laughs> we were talking about that at our retreat yeah oh yeah yeah like you like white you like elephants and it's like everything you get is all yeah. themed yeah um uh, but but yeah I, I still love it like but for those of you listening if you bought me something with that is fake food I really love it genuinely <laughs> um uh, anyway well la- last week we talked about um buying with friends and like the mindset around it, which is really a big part of it. And that's like a lot of what we talk about at open house and what our agents talk about with their clients. And then the reasons why people buy with friends, a preferred partnership split, um, that like little square where it was like, you need all these things to be the, you know, in your partnership. And then the benefits of buying with friends and some of the challenges. But yeah. we're going to go deeper into that today. Deeper. Red flags. <laughs> um, all right. What do, you, what do you think are some examples of red flags in, in like buying with friends or like people or partnership agreements, et cetera? Yeah. So it's funny. It does feel like we're – that's exactly what we talked about 
in that interview. Just some red flags to look out for is if you can't have hard conversations with this person that you're trying to buy a house with, I would say that is a huge red flag because you 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 will have hard conversations and you'll need to know how to navigate that. And, you know, that being said, you know, I, I don't know if I was like the best at doing that when I first jumped in. So we also always say, look at yourself first. Like, are you good at these things? Are you good at hard conversations? Are you good at communication? Um, so that would be my first red flag. Yeah. What about you? Well, I, I really liked what you said yesterday too, um, in like the level of excitement that your partner mm-hmm. is showing. Like we're you know, if you're dragging someone along and you're like, no, this is a good idea, I promise you, you know, there's going to be an element of you presenting this to someone. Um, but if they're like, I don't know, it's a it's it's a good idea to like maybe choose someone else who has equal excitement and who has really similar goals for the ending of this and values around the purchase. Because it's really easy for it to go sort of poorly and for them to be like, never mind, never mind, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And there could be some resentment later, right? Like you don't want to be the friend to just be like, we got this, we got this. And if something goes wrong, which, you know, things will go wrong, they could start to resent you and you just don't want that. And there will be times where like you're both super excited. And then there's going to be times when like one person is probably like stressed out and a little less excited. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if from the very beginning, this was your idea, you're dragging them along, like they seem very hesitant that's not a good partner. I know you really want to do this thing, but it's not that's not how to get started. So. Uh yes. I I I think that with our ex- experience in this, we've we've seen it all. Like we've seen p- people be a little bit more hesitant, be, maybe be a little bit erratic with like their um excitement levels and like, you know, coming to each meeting with different energy and that could be a little bit of a red flag. Um mm-hmm. and we've we've had partnerships fall apart. We had someone who was like, actually, we don't like being in this partnership with you. So we need to sell the house or dissolve the partnership. Um, and then we had someone else who was like, I actually don't want to be involved in this. I, it, it's it's more stress than it is exciting for me. And so we figured out a way we went to the partnership agreement and we figured out how to get them out of it. So I think with like, the, like I like what that you said, things will go wrong. It's not if things go wrong. Like things will go wrong. Things break. Yeah. That's life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So just... it's and important then, to pick pick correctly. Yeah. I would also say like if you, you do not if it's if you're if it's hard for you to talk about money or financial stuff, um, if it's hard for them to talk about money, like you have to come into this like, okay, I have this much of cash that I'm willing to put in and I, you know, owner, like if I, if we need to put in 5k more of our money, I can do it or I can't do that, you know? So like going in really knowing that you have aligned goals, you're on the same page, like things could go wrong. Let's really set a budget and then like give ourselves a little cushion. And Steph kind of talked about consequences of ignoring these red flags. And we have, I I have definitely ignored my intuition many times uh, in the very beginning of partnerships. And so what that will look like is also me just being really anxious (laughs) the whole time because I know something's going to go wrong. And like, that's not a good way of looking like starting a, a fun project or what's supposed to be a fun project with a friend. And this is a business. So you just, you can't, you got to treat it like that. I think that you really have to find the balance of optimism and, and skepticism and not even, I mean, I wouldn't even say skepticism more like 
being wise in your decisions because it is really easy to be like, ooh, I really want to own that. And like, that's really exciting. And you're going to ignore, like push aside any hesitations that you might have. Um, but in the end of the day, it is it is a business decision and, and you want it to make your life better. And mm-hmm. so if this is going to make you anxious all the time, that is not a lifestyle upgrade. It is no. a downgrade no matter how exciting it seems. So I, I think really tapping into that. And then also taking your time, which is funny that coming from us, <laughs> but like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be like, okay, we're doing this. And then tomorrow we put in an offer. It's like, okay, yeah. let's, let's meet, let's get, let's talk about our goals. Let's talk about our long, like five year plans and see if they align and see if like we can see ourselves owning this property for five to 10 years or more. Um, and then maybe meet next week and see if you're still feeling the same. <laughs> And I just thought of this, you know, what's really helped Steph and I, because we own a business together, we're actually looking into starting another business (laughs) together (laughs) that we'll share, you know, when it comes to fruition. And we have properties together. I think what's been really helpful for us um, was seeking outside advice. So that doesn't only mean like lawyers. I would say... It could be really beneficial for you when you're starting this partnership, maybe even like after you've bought the property or like before going into buying the property, meet with like a business coach and because you're starting a business together. And like that could be really cool just to have two to three conversations with a business coach and like say, be really truthful with like what anxieties you're feeling, what the other person's feeling, or if you're with four people, what are what's what's all these anxieties or what are you excited about? And like, I think that could be really helpful even to start doing like once a quarter or whatever you can afford. But it's I think it's really helpful because that's accountability for yourself because I think that's also really hard. I think that's what I get stressed about when I'm going into a partnership with someone is, okay, we even setting goals like, oh, I want to do all these things. It's so exciting. But then like who is responsible for keeping everyone accountable? And that can be when resentment kind of pops up is like if one person is doing all of that without like, okay, that's actually your role. And like, that's part of your ownership. If that's not established, there can be resentment and like things can get lost. And yeah, so it could be good to set that up for yourself. Yes. We love, we love a coach, a consultant, a, a third party who doesn't like tell you exactly what to do, but is there as a sounding board? Is there as like, yeah, accountability. It really, it's really helped us. It's changed our, our whole business mm-hmm. um, and our real estate portfolio or not really real estate portfolio, but just like our, our business and our investments. Mm-hmm. So should so, we yeah. talk about, okay. So I think, so I want to talk about operating agreements because that is something you should definitely have when embarking on a partnership um, when you're trying to buy a house with a friend, family member, doesn't matter. Um, you should have something that's telling you if something goes wrong, what are we doing? Or like, yep. what's the ownership split? And I think that sometimes that that kind of paperwork can hold people up. So I do not think that's the first step of when you're trying to get into a partnership, right? Yeah. But it is an important step that when do you think would be like the best time for someone to in a partnership to get an operating agreement? So I think 
in you could have like these loose questions being thrown around initially, but like when you actually have to get the operating agreement together, you have to kind of know some some details. So you have to have it a property identified, um, and you have to know how much money each person is bringing and how much equity each person will get, how much time people are spending, and so you kind of have to be sort of further along in the process of mm-hmm. the, of this partnership. Um, and then once you have all those questions answered, like, and this is going to be a weeks long process of like, okay, actually I'm bringing 50 K you're bringing 40 K and our other partners bringing 20 and we're going to make the equity split equal to the cash, um, the, the cash amounts, or I'm bringing 20, but I'm spending a lot more time. So we're going to have even partnerships, whatever it is. And that has to be outlined in detail in the operating agreement. So, so yeah. And after the property is, is identified. Yeah, so you can start having those conversations when you have a property identified. Um, but I would say we probably haven't like actually created and had it an official document until we're under contract or about yeah. to close on the property, right? Right, right, right. You can get under contract on the property before you have an operating agreement executed um, just because it really is it, – it would be a waste of time to do it if you don't have the property like, yeah, maybe under contract or at least like very, very um, narrowed down. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people be like, I I just need to, st- I, I just need to create this LLC. I, I need to create this operating agreement. And I'm like, and it, I think it holds them mm-hmm. back from getting started. And I, it really is an excuse because you can create an LLC in like under what, 10 yeah. minutes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, we, we use, um, oh, we use Inkfile, which I think they've changed names. Actually, let me see what they are now mm-hmm. because it is so, uh, it's busy, B-I-Z-E-E now, um, busy.com. And they, it's literally 10 minutes to make an LLC. It does cost a bit. Um, and so that is like some, some financial contribution that is made, but usually we just have one person pay for it. And that's like notated in, you know, the documents or the Google sheet and then they're reimbursed for it after. Right. Always create a spreadsheet. And some of, so when you are talking about all these ideas, some of the tabs that we have are like, yeah, uh, what's the, uh, expenses. Oh my God. What I'm not expenses, but like um how'd you pull yeah yeah, we can like pull pull up up our our spreadsheet let's see we have it's like current expenses i'm thinking yeah current current expenses we have oh yeah right now we have llc creation and then the domains someone purchased two dollars two of them on squarespace for 52 Mm dollars. is that you yeah that was for a business i guess you don't you might not need that for if you're buying a house. Right, right. That, yeah, that's different. But yeah, um, but, but, but like for, LLC creation. For buying a house, we also do like we have uh, tasks like um, it's probably on that spreadsheet too. What's the tab yeah. called? Um, to-do list. Timeline. To-do list. And then it's like broken out into like what is the task that we need to get done? Who's doing it? You can also use Asana. Honestly, it's probably better for accountability to use Asana. Um, and what other thing? Like uh, contractors or like yeah, having things in all in one place. I don't know how anyone does anything without a spreadsheet or a project management tool. Um, just because when you have multiple people working on a project, it's like it's basic project management. So, um, so yeah, we 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 function really well in a sheet, a Google sheet, because you can like tag people and it goes to their email, um, and and then you can always go back to it. And then I really like the function of seeing the history. So like you can always go back and be like, what were we thinking before? And mm. like how how, do, how what what type of ver- what version of this um, am I thinking about? So right, 
So going back to operating agreements, I feel like how we've explained it, it's still probably like it's like nebulous yeah. uh, document. So you can approach a lawyer, like a real estate lawyer, to help you get started. We have done that before and we have also just used, I think Busy has that, right? Yeah. Yeah. They have an operating agreement template that they just basically dropped up for you. I would say, I mean, I guess an operating agreement does feel nebulous. So like it is a probably five page document in some cases, maybe a little shorter, but you know, it needs to have a good amount of detail. Five page document that everybody signs um, that you could also, if you want to get notarized, if you want it to be like extra um, safe and official notaries usually are free at your bank to really like pull everyone together. It's kind of like a prenup. Yeah. And we have some questions that, you know, when you're forming this document, like would be good to talk with your partner, partners. When I say partner, partner, I mean friends, family, if it is your significant other, it could be. But ownership percentage, like how much is everyone getting? You know, how Steph talked about, like some people might be, if it's only one other person, you might be 50-50. If there's like four people, it's like, it might be split. Like me and Steph are in a um, partnership with three other people Mm -hmm. and I think our splits are like 13% or something and then someone else has 30% and so it's it's all different and so we have different roles and income that we will get when we sell and then what is each partner's initial cash contribution what happens if someone oh well why why did I jump in on that one you're like Um, if someone dies (laughs) what happens if someone dies or wants to exit (laughs) Do you want to go to the next one? <laughs> no, no. Well, that happened to us, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Like we talked about, someone wanted to exit, and it was actually fine. Like we weren't, we're, you know, we're all in still good uh, standings and stuff. I think that was her first year in real estate, ever buying property. She and that year, she bought her own home to live in, and she also, um, I think she had some cash from an inheritance or something, and so she wanted to invest it, which is really smart. And so she wanted to go in on this property that Steph and I had found, our uh, retreat house. It was fine. And then I think she was just like, real estate is not like, that's not like in this way. I, I have my house that I live in and I, she rents that out sometimes. And it's like, she's like, this is good for me for now. And that's totally like, we, we get that. It was, it was mm-hmm. definitely like a, like we said earlier, more stressful for her than it was bringing her joy. And in that case, that you know that even if she was she exited and she got her she's getting her money back like we're we're pay, we're paying her monthly um but we are she's not really making much money like we will make more money because we're going to hold it for longer so she chose she decided that that was okay like she was like I actually am okay with that because I don't enjoy this and I I want like I don't want the responsibility anymore um, which um is fair. and then Something else to talk about is will you take owner's draws? And, you know, typically Steph and I are not doing that. I don't do that actually with any of my properties. I just collect if, you know, so for example, like the house I live in, um, we upgraded our house and our living situation. We live, we have a much more expensive mortgage. So I have a sneaky duplex in my house and we rent that out and the money that we make from that goes into a bank account, but that money just like is taking care of some of our mortgage. So that is how I'm paying myself is like it's helping go towards my mortgage uh, in a property that Steph and I own. Um, 
we like to keep it in there because things come up and we uh, will pay, we'll use that income to uh, pay for like a roof or, you know, if we want to treat ourselves, we'll, if we're up there and like, let's go to dinner, like, let's do this team retreat here, we'll pay, we'll use that money. But usually we're just saving the money in there. It's almost like little savings accounts for your investments because remember, real estate is not passive and you things will come up um, yeah. and we are buy and hold investors. So we are not yeah. only counting on not having when we're buying like an, a house, like a second home or something, our intent is to lower the mortgage payment as much as possible or eliminate it. Um, and it's contributing to our lifestyle right like our our quality of life yeah and that's that was that's our model like we decided to not really take draws and i think in one of our llc's or one of our partnerships that we me and christine are pretty low low percentage ownerships owners in they we have a cap that we want to reach and then past that we'll take owner's draws you can this is all self determined. Like you can decide I like we're buy and hold. So we're just we're wanting it to cover itself. We want it to add to our lifestyle and then we know that it's gaining equity. So like all three of those things are working in tandem in a positive way for our lives. And so we're not counting on that for like m- like money to to live our lives. There's some people who do, you know, there's some people who do take draws and do use the money from their real estate investments to live their lives. And then I do on some of mine and and that's like separate from my from my partnerships with Christina and separate with from my partnerships with my family. But it's like the most important thing to take away from all of this is that it is like determined by the partners. Yeah. And it's up to you and you can change that as well. Yeah. Um, as long as everyone's in agreement, um, you know, you might have a slow year one year or you might have gotten to that savings like let's say you're all like okay once we get to twenty thousand dollars let's take owner's draws but then you know like in the next year it'll be a slower time for real estate so you might decide hey why don't we try to double that you know before we do that so it just it it really again yeah it depends on you yeah oh yeah we said how much money do you want in reserves at all times yeah (laughs) that's another thing do you have an exit strategy so yeah like when what are we doing with this property are we just like letting it do its thing? Is there, are we holding it for 10 years and trying to sell it? Like what's the situation? Yes. In that same vein, when, when are you not going to sell? Like are you could say we will not sell if there, if there is an opportunity for us to get a loss, then, then that's not a good time to sell. You know, like that's, we've already agreed that if we will take a loss, we're not going to sell. We're going to hold it for another year. Um, And then again, yeah. When, when will you sell? And I think that that is just as important as starting this. Like what, we, we, we want to align on how much time we want our cash to be tied up, our attention to be tied up, because maybe this is a short term five year situation um, that, you know, eventually in five years want to buy our own houses. And so we're going to exit and then, you know, put that cash and energy towards something else. So, yeah, you decide that ahead of time. And this is a document that is there for when issues arise. Like you might all be talking all the time through text or you see each other and you're like you've had these conversations where you're like oh I guys let's like actually sell next year because we all are in this like new life stages and we want to use this cash for something we need the cash whatever and then but in the operating agreement you probably like maybe you a few years ago had been like we're waiting for 10 years but you know it's only if one person is like I really don't want to sell right now then you go to that document 
Um, but I, I think you can refer back to it. And at the end, I think you do have to you still have to vote uh, majority mm-hmm. r- rules. But it is good to have that document to go back to be like, well, what was our original plan? Yeah. And then you also decide in that document whether it's it is majority rules or if it's unanimous. You know, you decide whether like how to make decisions moving forward, too, because inevitably there will be something that comes up that might not explicitly be outlined in this document. And so how do you make decisions moving forward? And like we've figured out that it is pretty like we if you choose the right partners, it's pretty easy to be like, okay, yeah, let's do that. Like we've never really in a in a um, property had someone like just stand their ground and not not back down. Like we really reasonable people and we've partnered with really reasonable people. Um, but but it uh, still have operating agreements and still have a process of making decisions. Mm-hmm. This is something that was a little tricky when we had five people on a property it was like, who's managing the property, right? Yes. Like who, you know, uh, if you're, you got to like establish some of that because then again, some people can feel resentment, do more than others. So who, yeah. what is everyone's role? Yeah. Who's managing? Who's going to do the taxes? You're hiring a bookkeeper, mm-hmm. an accountant. How will you handle it? If you need extra money for repairs or updates, this is a huge one because that could happen, right? Yes. Especially in the beginning when you don't have a lot of reserve. It, w- it will happen. <laughs> yeah. Not, maybe not in the beginning, but, but yeah. And then, and then we talked, we talked a little bit about, about reserves, but there's also scenarios where you say, you know, we're going to put this money in for the down payment and we're all putting in 10k into our joint mm. account so that we have that in reserves initially. You know, like we've yeah. we've done that sometimes, and then we also like on top of that wait the couple of months that it takes to get to our goal because we know we're going to be creating income. So, and then oh, I already mentioned this. I didn't see that. How do you make decisions unanimous or majority rules? Yeah, that's fair. And then I do. Should we talk a little bit about how do you decide ownership splits? Yeah, and percentages. I got, I- Yes. I think that that is a really common um, question that people get. And unfortunately, we never have a great answer because it is like very, very up to you. And it does make, it does help to have someone with um, some experience in this helping you, which is why, you know, having a consultant, having a coach. Um, but I, I think that if someone feels like this is unfair, then that's not the right choice for for equity split you know and right. they ha- and you have to trust that they're communicating that and that like if someone thought that it wasn't okay then they would speak up true and i you just have to really understand because when you throw out a number it's hard to really grasp what that means right like if you're like 10% like what is that right. so make sure you understand what you're getting or what everyone's getting um so there's no miscommunication. Like you could not understand what you're getting and it, it feels too low. But like yeah. what – let's like actually work out the numbers to know what that would mean. And, and usually that that means you everybody – you sell the house, you pay off the, the loan, everybody gets back what they put in. So especially when you're not doing equity based on cash investment – everybody gets back exactly what they put into the into the deal and then past that any of the extra is split up determined by the equity splits. So like the, me and Christina are 10% each owners on a property. We we put in very little cash and we're kind of silent partners. We don't have much decision making. When that sells, then we'll get 10% of the profit. Mhm. And that's totally fine. You know, like I I don't even remember for that deal 
Did we put like 13,000 or something? Yeah. It was 13,000 and like we don't have decision-making power, which is right. totally fine. I don't hate it. Like it, yeah. it's not not a lot of money, but it's not – I. it's something that I had at the time. I could invest and was like, yeah, I'll squirrel that away for a little bit. But we also have like other investments that – so like we really diversify how we are spending our money. We're like I think in the beginning we were like all oh, real estate and now we're we're investing in other ways. So for me though like as a silent investor in this it it it's like a kind of different way of investing my money in real estate cuz usually I'm so hands-on. This feels yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, it is nice. It's kind of like the ideal progression for me is like as you get further along in your real estate investing career, investing career in general, it gets more and more passive. And like we will get lower returns on this because we're only 10% owners, but that's okay because we have other, our money invested elsewhere and we're not spending as much of our time. Yeah. And I like hiding my money away from myself. I like finding, yeah. <laughs> opening up a, a savings account or my Fidelity account and being like, oh my gosh, I forgot. I, I <laughs> have this here. And, you know, I'm putting in a certain amount every month. It's like very nice to know that I have set, I'm setting myself up for success and absolutely. I don't always have to think about it. It's not something that I, I do personally. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, and, and it's, that's like when you get to this point, you know, we've partnered so much to get to this point and now we can make decisions based on lifestyle as opposed to just like growing, growing. And I feel like it's, it's ideal. Yeah. But Let's, we had to use partnership. I feel like we did talk a lot about crafting agreements and stuff. So I want this to be actionable for y'all, right? Like, I think last week we did ask you to write down, like, what do I bring to the table? Think about what you bring to the table as a partner. Like, do you have time? Do you have cash? Do you have what else? A W-2 job or what was the last one? Talent, experience. Talent or experience. So use that answer to jot down some ideas for like how you could pitch yourself as a partner to friends, families, colleagues, or even members of our community. Like we we host events, um, especially for like our community meetups, um, our women real estate meetup where we're hosting events like this so you can meet people like-minded to you that want to invest in real estate. So what like how can you pitch this to your, to them? Yes. And I would be so brutally honest with yourself. How many hours do you actually want to spend on this property? You know, and it's not going to be the same amount of hours every week. It, it could be an average or it's even average monthly, but like how much capacity do you realistically have? Um, How much cash do you realistically want to devote? Because obviously you want to keep money in your emergency fund. Like you're not trying to clean yourself out for this. Um, And so just like brutally honest with yourself first and then decide like how you want to pitch yourself. And what kind of property are you interested in? Like be honest with yourself in that. Like if you want a house to live in, that's okay. You can also pitch that to other people, but how are you going to make that an investment for them? And there are ways... Like I've done that with my sister where she kind of was a silent investor. She gave, she had the W-2 job. I had cash. So we partnered in that way. She's like a 10 to 15% owner on the house that um, I had lived in. And when I go to sell it, she'll get – I mean, that was a great investment for her. <laughs> she'll get yeah, a lot yeah, of money. Yeah. So yeah, think about that. And then also we have some tools that can help you – 
now we have like a free little mini course on buying with friends. So you maybe take that first. It's like three videos. It's free. Um, watch that first. And then that might help you. And then also in your pitch, you could say, hey, watch this. Let's watch this video together and like pause mm-hmm. it and ask questions as they come up. Yeah, send them send them this podcast series, like the our, the last episode in this episode, because yeah. this is like in depth and we've done it before. And so you can kind of get them on the same page as you. It's like, okay, th- these are the questions we need to start with. And once you're um, you found your partner and you guys are like, yeah, let's do this. We ha- we are kind of on the same page of what we want to buy. Um, and if you're in Austin, jump on a call with one of our agents because they – I don't know any other realtor who is really as in tuned with buying with friends and they've all done it. Everyone on our team has done it. Um, so they can start helping you strategize on where to get started. You might have this big idea in your head that you want something that actually might not work for what uh, the area you're looking for or whatever. So that's a great place to also get this – actually rolling and not yeah. just be like, I want to do this one day, you know? Yeah. And actually we, we've been talking about this property where me and Christina own 10% each and we are partnered with two of our agents. Yeah. So um, they have like full real life experience in this, in splitting equity, in um, bringing different amounts of cash and bringing different amounts of talent and time though. So, so I would definitely recommend getting on a call. Yeah. And anything else, Steph, that you want to talk about with? I don't think so. I'm, I, I'm excited for this like very focused series. I think this is, um, it's fun to, to talk about what I've learned because we've, we've done this so much and it's been such a roller coaster. So hopefully our listeners can learn from our mistakes. I guess we did say we were going to tell everyone a time when it didn't go right. <laughs> We've we talked we, about we well, promised drama. Yeah, yeah, we did tell you. We, did, we, did. <laughs> we and we kind of dropped like a couple of the reasons, and we were together in this the first time it went wrong. And one of the red flags was just like very all over the place. Like we, me and Christina, were so excited to do this, and then we had this third partner who we would like do all the numbers and re- like in depth anal- analysis. <laughs> and go to the property like yes yeah. all of it and we would be like okay we should we should do it because because like 80 percent of investing in real estate is doing it yeah <laughs> and and then our partner would be like you know what no we need to go bigger like we should be buying a building why are we doing why are we dealing in such small potatoes and we were like oh damn no. <laughs> we're like should we and then we were like it was so we were so new at it where we're like, does she know something we don't like? Is she <laughs> yeah. right? But like these numbers, yeah. This is such a cool, like, key, like it's close to us. So we were so excited about these, this property that we just analyzed, and then this partner would like, kind of, go off the our path, our beaten path, yeah. and like say, actually, let's buy a hotel. And we were like, <laughs> yeah. she's like, what about a, a million dollar property? And we were like, whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was it was uh, like a, de- a derailment that that is a more of a distraction than an, than an inspiration. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's people who, who are big thinkers and I, that's amazing. We, we consider ourselves big thinkers, but I think in a partnership, you have to know your buy box. Like that's an investment term that, that investors will like, will, like here's my box. And you, you decide, determine your area, determine the price point, determine like what you're looking for in an actual property. And then all all of your partners need to get on board with that and then move forward because then you can be successful and not feel like something got away. Because we saw multiple properties that we 
we now still think about. <laughs> and at the end of the day, what what did we end up buying? <laughs> uh, we bought like this really, really rundown triplex with existing tenants in mm-hmm. San Antonio that needed so much. And, you know, we bought it because it was so cheap and the down payments looked really good. We were like, oh, we can definitely do that. But we weren't thinking about the other side of it where it needed so much, so much work. And we were um, an hour and a half away from it. Yes. And with three of us, we weren't as skilled yet with dividing and conquering with roles and everything. So it was just, it was a lot. And like, obviously that didn't work out for us. We're not really like that close with that person anymore. I wouldn't even say just because of that. There, you know, they, it was like a little bit of a manic situation. Like it felt very manic, the whole process. And yeah. it, it made me feel very stressed out. It made me not like real estate, but it yeah. did help me learn what I do like about real estate. And it is not buying in that way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, and really when, when all was said and done, we didn't lose any money on that property. We lost, yeah, we definitely had some anxiety. We lost some time, but we ended up selling it. And, and it worked out fine because we had an operating agreement, like because we had things in place. Um, so I think choosing, choosing partners is so, so important and then not rushing into it and really doing your research, listening to podcasts like these, watching our, our mini series, our mini course, um, and like talking to people who've done this before. Yeah. And I will say like, uh, before we wrap it up, like we keep throwing around the word investor and I want like you are an investor if like we who we're trying to attract here and who we do attract is people who maybe they've bought a house before maybe they've never bought a house before um but they're it's not your typical idea of investor when you think about not like the i'm buying five hotels and like my cash flow is this it's like if you are even buying a house and trying to save money on it like lower your mortgage payment through house hacking, you know, put a tiny house in your backyard, have a roommate, whatever. You're an investor. Like that is you. And so don't listen to this and be like, well, that's not me. I'm not an investor. I'm not trying to buy a house in San Antonio and it make me money. But you can be an investor by, if you're like, I want a beach house or I want a mountain house. And that just sounds really like luxury and like lovely to me. Like you can do that. And you can rent still and live in your house close to the city or your little apartment if you want. And you can buy a mountain house or a beach house or a lake house with your friends. And like that is an inve- that, that is an investment as long as you are approaching it with an investor mindset, trying to buy creatively, which to us means, you know, always trying to lower your mortgage payment if you can through house hacking, through partnerships. So yeah, don't write yourself off. You are an investor. Yes, I love that. And I think we hear that a lot at our women investor meetups where like our our the, the guests are like, well, I don't I don't know if I should be here. Like I haven't bought anything. No, like if you feel um, excited about buying property in whatever way you want, you're an investor. Yeah. And honestly, we are we're talking about even changing our woman investor name. It might have even already happened at this point, the meetup, because like we want to attract people who are wanting to buy creatively and like sometimes when you think of investor you're like they're on like bigger pockets or they're listening to like bigger pocket bros yeah yeah and and like that's not they're like we gotta flip a home and yeah like, yeah and they come in with this like broy, scary weird energy also energy that like they don't really know what they're talking about. They've just like re- they're regurgitating what they like read online. So that's not yes, that's not us. <laughs> that's yes, not what yes, we're yes. doing. That's not the energy we're bringing. <laughs> no, no. Um, and we're happy that you're here. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay, next week, we're going to share ideas of like how, well, how we've pitched ideas to friends and family in the past. Um, so you can get a better understanding of how to do it yourself. But I would, that's your homework. Watch the mini course on buying with friends. Think of, write down a list of like five to 10 people. I know that sounds like a lot. Just think of people, random people, and who you would potentially want to invest with. Yes. I love this. And again, yeah, thank you for being here and we'll see you next week. Bye everyone. Bye.